Luke 2.7. What did we just read there? This is what we read. I'm going to read it to you again. And she, Mary, brought forth, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So what stands out about that description of Jesus' birth? For us, actually, it kind of all stands out. I mean, think about it. Laying your baby in a feeding trough, swaddling clothes, no room for them in the inn. The entire setting and description there in Luke 2-7 of the baby being born does not fit our understanding of how babies are born and the setting in which we find them. But I'm not so sure that was the case with the first century readers when they first heard the story of Jesus' birth. I think, actually, if anything, the first century readers would have thought about how ordinary this birth was. They would have heard the description and thought, that's actually not much different than the birth of any other child in small-town Palestine. In fact, the birth of my own child was the same way. I actually think that verse is the equivalent of somebody writing today about somebody having a baby and saying something like this. Oh, you know, they were, they were visiting their family, and, and then she went into labor, so they had to go to the nearest hospital. And so her husband drove her, and when she was there, she had a seven-pound baby boy, and, and they put him under the Billy Rubin lights because he was a little jaundiced, you know? And, and guess what else? That, that first night, they had to spend in the pediatric ward because the, uh, the maternity wing was all filled up. To first-century ears, the description of Jesus' birth in Luke 2-7 was extremely ordinary. That is if you don't count the whole angels part. (laughs) A few months before Jesus is born, an angel comes to Mary announcing that she would have a child by the power of God. And this child would be the Christ, the son of the most high, an eternal king whose name would be Yeshua, Jesus, which means God saves. And on the very night that he was born, a gaggle of angels kind of flocked down to some poor shepherds out in the field. And and they started declaring the glory of God. And these angels said that there was going to be a Savior, the Christ and Lord. And he was born in Bethlehem. And he told them what to look for. But what about the actual birth itself? It's probably more like this. Oh, you know, they they were in Bethlehem because they had to pay taxes. You know how it is. And they stayed for a few weeks there with some cousins or a, a great uncle of, uh, of Joseph's. And then Mary, she gave birth to a baby while they were there. And you know what she did? She wrapped him up tightly, swaddling clothes and all, just like we do today. And then she laid him down to take a nap. Because anytime your baby wants to take a nap, you lay him down. Because she knew that in 30 minutes, he would be crying for milk or needing his diaper changed. And quite frankly, Mary wanted a break. At Christmas, Jesus became a regular baby. In other words, Jesus was actually human. Author Max Lucado gives his take on what happened on Christmas when he writes, God came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. God tapped humanity on its collective shoulder. Pardon me, God said. And eternity interrupted time. Divinity interrupted carnality. 
and heaven interrupted the earth in the form of a baby. Now, skeptics deny that Jesus is God, and they're only willing to look at him as an important historical figure along the lines of Lincoln or Napoleon or P. Diddy. But believers often go in the opposite direction. We will often go so far emphasizing Jesus' divinity that we give up his full humanity. The result for many believers is we gloss over the picture of God that we are meant to see in the face of Jesus. We fail to see how God becoming an actual person is how we know God and how God identifies with our sorrows and our vulnerability and our struggles in this life. Only in Jesus, only in Jesus, do we see the full extent of God's love for us. You see, Jesus was and is God, but he was also a real person, a real guy. I mean, think about it. Jesus experienced physical life. At times, the the Bible records, Jesus was actually hungry. Before calming the storm, what did Jesus do? He fell asleep in the back of the boat because he was tired. As they're entering into Samaria, Jesus sits down at a well because he was worn out from the journey. And when the woman approaches the well, he's actually thirsty and needs a drink. Jesus dealt with physical life just like you and me. Jesus also had feelings and emotions. This might be hard for some of us guys to relate to, but Jesus actually felt things in life. He was angry at the money changers outside of the temple. He was regularly frustrated with his own best friends. He was moved by compassion for a sinful woman, for a widow who had lost her only son, for a Roman soldier whose beloved servant was sick. Jesus felt sympathy for the crowds of people pressing in on him, full of so many needs, helpless and hopeless. Jesus experienced life. He experienced the best of life, family, good friends, laughter, a lot of food at times, but he also experienced the worst of life. He felt the painful sting of death. The Bible records one story of Jesus breaking into tears when he sees his good friends, Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus has just died. And he engages their sorrow and is brought to tears. Jesus knew the pain of death. Somewhere between his 12th and 30th birthday, Jesus lost his own human dad, Joseph. He lived his adult ministry and public life without a dad to see any of it. Some of you know what that is like. In one very human scene, Jesus hears the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, and it says Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. Think about that for a moment. Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptist, were less than a year apart. They didn't live that far away either. 
they were probably very close. They grew up together. They played together. They ate together. I mean, you have to wonder how many kind of treehouse conversations did Jesus and John have when they were growing up? How many family meals did they try and sneak around spying on the adults? And as they became young men, how many times did they share a drink while dreaming about their future? So when Jesus hears that his cousin John is dead, the Bible records that he retreats. In deep sorrow, he withdrew to a solitary place because he didn't want to be with anyone for a little bit. Sounds like what I would probably do if I lost my closest friend and cousin. A real body, real emotions, life and death. On Christmas, God shows up as a very real, if rather ordinary, Jewish baby boy. He can't feed himself. He can't clean himself. And his only language is crying. As St. Augustine put it, he through whom time was made was made in time. He who made man was made man. He was given existence by a mother whom he brought into existence. He was carried around in hands which he formed. And when Jesus grows up, you know what? He has interests and a personality and friends and emotions. Jesus had to eat with his mouth. He was human. Jesus is not much different than any guy you know and like and enjoy and want to spend time with. Maybe just a little bit cooler. <laughs> Jesus is someone you can relate to. Someone you'd want to hang out with. You see, at Christmas, the God of the universe becomes someone with whom you could grab a cup of coffee. Jesus, that means, is not some stiff and distant character with a King James English accent as depicted in many movies, walking around all robotic and holy. Jesus isn't the, the glowing Aryan picture of beauty and magnificence with blonde hair and blue eyes that many of our art pictures show as well. Even the nativity scenes that we have set up and the Christmas carols that we sing, they tend to paint an unrealistic beatific vision of serenity and awe at the birth of Jesus. I mean, come on. Whoever makes these nativities, whoever writes half of the carols, they haven't actually been at the birth of a real child, have they? <laughs> There's nothing peaceful about it. Nobody looks beatific. It's real life. Jesus' beauty is not in painted images. It's in his honesty and vulnerability and his genuine love for others in his very real humanity. Jesus' magnificence isn't in the portraits that we see. It's not in his English accent as portrayed in the films. It's in the way that he reveals God, full of power and mercy and he does so very, very personally. How fully did God embrace humanity in Jesus? God was born 
and able to die. Wait a minute. God is not able to be born. God can't die. God was and is and always will be, right? But in Jesus Christ, God has a birthday and God breathes his last. What does Christmas tell us about God? What does it tell us that God became an ordinary, average baby? Christmas means that God is concerned with your life. Jesus enters time and history in a particular place as a particular person. This isn't Ben Franklin's distant clockmaker God. This isn't George Lucas's impersonal force. This is not Western philosophical wisdom of truth or love. You see, in Jesus, God enjoys food and friends and family and laughter and sleep at the end of a long day and all the joys and pleasures of life. And in Jesus, God offers us life to the full in him forever. But Jesus also shows us that God knows the depth of our humanity. He was tired and exhausted and stressed and lonely and worn out and hungry and at times full of deep sorrow and pain. Christmas is God entering human history. God declaring that he works in real human lives. God saying he wants to work in your human life and in mine. Christmas means that God is concerned with your life. And Christmas also means that we can really know the God of the universe. A few weeks back, I was hanging with a group of guys, and our conversation went to this question. Why didn't God make it easier to believe in him? You know, why didn't he make it obvious for us? How about my own little personal angel, God? How about parting the Red Sea for me, God? I'll take a miracle, a divine sky writing with lightning and like kind of that loud heavenly voice. Show up, God. Let me see that you're real. But instead at Christmas, God enters normal life, the kind of life we live. You want to meet the almighty Lord of the universe, at Christmas, God says, start by looking in a manger and finish by seeking an empty tomb. Christmas lets us know that God wants you to experience him just like you experience your wife or your best friends or your dad. Except that in Jesus, you're getting to know the creator, redeemer, and Lord of life. You want to know God? You want to know the God of the universe? There he is in a cradle. A Jewish baby born 2,000 years ago. Christmas is the extraordinary becoming ordinary. The infinite becoming finite. The creator becoming creation. The eternal becoming temporal the almighty Lord of the universe becomes vulnerable, bruisable, able to bleed, 
at Christmas, the giver of life needs his mama. How does God choose to reveal himself and redeem humanity? In a birth and in a death. It doesn't get any more real life than that. You know, we may not have a lot in common, all of us, but what we do have in common is that all of us have a birthday and all of us will die. In Jesus, God said, me too. The source of life became a life that we might experience true life. And it all begins in a tightly wrapped baby, asleep in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. And that's who God wants us to meet tonight, tomorrow, every day. Let's pray. God, if you really are God, and this is really the crazy way you came to show us who you are, help us to see in Jesus, in Christmas, in his life and death and resurrection, more than just a historical figure. But God become man that we might know God. If that's really true, help us to see it this night and every night. Amen.